<clears throat> so I want to uh, pretend with you this morning, just a little bit, that we're having a conversation. Let, let's make it a, a restaurant. And uh, we're sitting there and talking life. And I ask you this question. And uh, the question is, how good do you think a person has to be in order to get to heaven? And so when I ask you the question, you scratch your head a little bit and say, well, I'm not sure. But did you see in the news about those ISIS guys that put that guy in a cage and burned him alive? Yeah, I did. What about those guys? You think they're going to make it? No. No way. So I take a napkin and take my pen out and make a little X on this side of the napkin. Okay, let's put those dudes over there. Who do you know that's like the best person you've ever known? Teacher, parent, I mean, just like nobody comes close to being as good as they are. Well, Billy Graham, is he going to be there? Well, if he isn't, then we're all in trouble. Well, let's put over here that X then on this side of the napkin. That's him, Billy Graham. And then while we're sitting there, I draw a line down the middle of the napkin and, and then hand you the pen and say, put an X on here, wherever you think you are. Down here, up here, wherever. Uh, yeah, you probably would put the X just a little bit, just on this side of the line, just a skosh. And when you did, handed the pen back, my statement to you would be, are you sure are you really positive you're on this side of the line? And uh, you might say, well, no, but is anybody? I am. I'm sure. I'm sure that I'm going to heaven. That's set, secure. I'm confident of that fact. But it's not on the basis of whether... I'm on this side of the line or not. Nobody, nobody will ever be good enough to get to heaven on the basis of what they do good or what they do bad. It's only on the basis of faith. Believing and trusting in the gospel. Uh, the gospel is Jesus, who was almighty, in, infinite God, equal with the Father, who had always existed, emptied himself, stripped himself of all that he was as God, set it aside, and was born into this world as a baby, just like you and I, with all the frailty and weaknesses of a baby. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he was nailed to a cross, and while he hung there, your sins, my sins, were put on him, all of them, even the smallest. And he became that sin, and he uh, experienced the full wrath of God as a just God punishing that sin. He took my place, paid the penalty of my sin. And when I believe that personally, when I receive what he did for me as a gift uh, and admit that I can't make it on my own, then I'm forgiven, I'm adopted into the family of God and I'm given the free gift of eternal life in heaven forever and ever and ever. It's mine. I don't have to worry about a bad day or a good day. I don't have to worry whether I'm on this side of the line or that side of the line. I'm in on the basis of what Jesus did, on the basis of faith. So the Bible asks and answers the question all through the whole Bible, how do you get to heaven? It's sort of like the person who pulls into a gas station and says, can you tell me how to get to such and such an address? And you get instructions on how to get there. How do you get to heaven? And so we've been going through the Gospel of John uh, for the last uh, number of months, and the theme of the Gospel of John is how do you get to heaven? 
And uh, the Gospel of John, the writer writes seven miracles that Jesus did, and the last one is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. We started last week. I didn't finish, so we'll finish it this morning. So let me read a couple of excerpts out of that. John chapter 11, verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He's fallen asleep, but I go so that I may waken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe that you may believe. Moving on to verse 27, Jesus said to her as they go there, uh, Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha comes out to see him. Uh, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now here is the the, the message of the Bible in a sentence, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me, believes in me, will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And it's that belief uh, that gives us eternal life in heaven with God forever. Jumping to verse 38, so Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to him, to them, unbind him and let him go. You know, I, uh, reading through the New Testament, there's the Gospel of John, and there's the book of Acts, and the book of Galatians, and Revelations. I've often wished there was a book in the New Testament entitled Lazarus. And in the book, he would have told us about what he experienced for the four days that he was dead. There is no such book. There's no recordings of a conversation about him. God wants us to uh, stick around, and so he's not letting us know uh, totally what's in store for us. Otherwise, we would uh, probably all jump off a bridge or something in order to get there. So we're just waiting. I, I bet, though, that he was a bit upset uh, when he came back from heaven and shows up in front of everybody wrapped in grave clothes. Why in the world have you done this to me? And, uh, but he did. He, he came back from the dead. Jesus did that to demonstrate that this is who he is. This is what he does. Suppose you'd been there. There were a big crowd of people that were around. It was two miles from Jerusalem, and all the leaders were there, and the, and the key people were there, and they witnessed what Jesus did. Suppose you were there when this happened, when Lazarus come hopping out of the grave, wrapped up in clothes after having been dead for four days, still stinking. Uh, I would have put that on Facebook. Uh, I'd write a letter. And in fact, lots of people did, wrote letters to Aunt Matilda and Uncle Joe and, and different family members all around about what they'd seen and experienced. And uh, those letters, you know, they got thrown in garbage cans and fell to the dirt, and they dig stuff up nowadays, archaeological digs over there in that part of the country, and they get 
literally hundreds of pieces of fragments of things that are written. Did you know that the raising of Lazarus from the dead is one of the most provable historical events that there is? Though it happened all those years ago, uh, there are literally thousands of fragments of letters and bits of information that people that were there that I witnessed that, that wrote their letters to various people and described what they'd seen in detail. Uh, Jesus raised him from the dead as a preview. This is what's in store for me and for you. Number one in your notes, death is the greatest enemy of man. It'll be a little bit of review from last week, so if you fill those blanks in, you get a freebie there. Uh, we're afraid of death. We go to the doctor. We hear news about our health, whether we have cancer or bad heart, whatever, and we makes us nervous because it means that there's a possibility we could die. Psalms 18:4, the cords of death encompassed me. Torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of shield surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Psalms 55, 4, my heart is in anguish. Is an anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. The horror has overwhelmed me. Uh, all related uh, to death and dying. Number two, we have an inner awareness that we are eternal. We have an inner awareness that we are eternal. And so God created us uh, he created geese, he created bees, he puts in them an, uh, an instinct to do things, and he's put within us this awareness that there is more than just dying and turning to dirt, uh, that we have life after death in some form. Ecclesiastes 3, he has made everything appropriate in his time. He has set eternity. He has set eternity in our heart. Romans 1.19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. God made it evident to them. He put it in us, that awareness that there is a God, that there is life after death. Uh, sometimes people will bury that, squash that, deny that, but when we, just us and the fence post, are real and, and honest with what's inside of us, uh, we know what's true. Number three, our daily experience of sleep is a constant reminder of the grace of death. So I go to sleep every day. It's been about 15 years since I missed a night's sleep. Sometimes it's short, but I go to sleep every night, and I really, really enjoy going to sleep. In fact, I sleep a lot. Uh, Monday, we're going to go up to Portland, Patty and I, uh, the doctor's appointment, and when we get in the car, she will get uh, in the driver's side and start the car up, and when she starts the car up, I will reach down there and pull that lever that puts the seat back, back, and I'll recline, and I'll be asleep before we get out the driveway. And when we're just like 60 seconds from the parking lot, she will wake me up. Hey, wake up. And then when we head back home, uh, pretty much the same deal. I'll pull the lever, the seat will go back, and before we're on I-5, I'll be asleep. And, and then when we uh, head through Jefferson and head home, she wakes me up. Hey, time to get up. Did you know I fell asleep preaching once? It's been a few years ago, and it wasn't, you know, totally fall over on the floor asleep, but uh, we'd had a, a long night that night, and uh, it was right here. I uh, got to, through my sermon, it was a little bit flat, and I said, like I always do, okay, let's pray, and I bowed my head, and as soon as I closed my eyes, that was a mistake, <laughs> I, f I fell asleep, and uh, one guy was telling about it the other day. He said, yeah, I remember I bowed my head and nothing happened and nothing happened. And so I picked my head up and your head was still bowed. So I put my head back down and nothing happened. So I picked my head back up. And about the time I picked up my head, you started praying. So I put my head back down again. 
And then you prayed, and then when you finished praying, I picked my head up, and you still had your head bowed, so I put my head back down again, and I waited, and I picked my head back up again, and you still had your head bowed, and then you said, in Jesus' name we pray, so I put my head back down again, and, and then I picked my head up, and then you said, in Jesus' name I pray again. Uh, <clears throat> that was a long uh, prayer with all those naps in there. Uh, one time, Patty said, shortly after we were married, she said, Do you, I notice you have your eyes open when you're kissing me. I said, yeah, if I close them, I'll fall asleep. <laughs> that really didn't go over well. <clears throat> I like to sleep. It's just kind of relaxing and comfortable and refreshing. And, and God could have made it so we got by on five minutes of sleep or we got to sleep once a week or once a month. Think how much more work we would have gotten done. But he wants us to have a daily, daily reminder. This is what death's about. It's not really that bad, that spooky. You just wake up to a new day and it's cool and you're energized. John 11, he said, after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may waken him out of sleep. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Jesus had spoken of his death. He had spoken of his death, but he used the word sleep so that he would say, hey, this is what it's like. Every day you have an illustration, you have a picture, you have a sort of a reminder of the grace that God gives when we get to that point of dying. Number four, because of what Jesus has done for us, we do not have to fear death at all, but anticipate it as the greatest graduation of our life, as the greatest graduation of our life. Uh, so I don't know about you, but I, I read the news and I see about an earthquake and 2,000 plus people are killed and I see about all the fighting that's taken place in the Middle East and different places and all the torture and atrocities that are being done and about disease and in West Africa, Ebola and people dying from that and all the politics that's going on in our own government and I just finished doing my taxes and oh, and I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I, you walk up and say, how you doing? I, I hate that question. Because I really don't want to tell you how I'm doing. Because if I do, it's going to sound like I'm grumbling. And so, uh, so if you say, how you doing? Uh, well, when? Right now. Uh, oh, that hurts. Uh, that hurts. That hurts too. I don't hurt except when I move. I don't know how you are. I mean, life is just kind of a bummer. Government, taxes, weather, war, aches, pains, all day long. Oh, it is so going to be so cool. When I get to heaven, I'm going to get a new body. When I get to heaven, there's going to be no politics. When I get to heaven, there's going to be no taxes. When I get to heaven, there's going to be no war. It is going to be absolutely wonderful. The joy is incomprehensible. I'm going there, and it's not that far away. Uh, it's a graduation. First Thessalonians 4.13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, <clears throat> about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, I do. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, with the trumpet of God. <clears throat> I, I have tr triggers in my life. That is, I forget stuff. And so I, I just have these reminders, and I call them triggers. Every night when I go to bed, I, I set my alarm. I set my alarm every night. It goes off every morning, and I put it, it's my phone, and I put it in my underwear drawer next to my bed. And the cord for charging it is right there, and so that way it's not quite as loud for Patty and and it goes off every morning. And when it goes off, it wakes me up. And as soon as I hear it, I say, the trumpet of God. Yeah. And then I get fully awake and say, oh, it's just my phone. But it could be the trumpet of God. And so I think, sometime today, maybe I'll hear the trumpet. My body will change and I will get a new, and off to heaven I will go. Maybe today. Every night when I go to sleep, when I was just a little bitty kid, my mother taught me this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I don't, did you memorize that one when you were a little kid? I did. And it's kind of embarrassing for me to say, I still pray that. It's a simple little prayer. But it's kind of me saying before I go to sleep, Lord, it'd be so cool if I'd wake up in heaven Man, I'd love that. I am so much looking forward to that day, to anticipate that. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always, we shall always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Remind each other. That's where we're going. Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which to choose. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. That is very much better. It doesn't sound like Paul is fearing death. It doesn't sound like he's nervous about it. He's looking forward to it. He's anticipating it. Number five, heaven is a very real place where our experience of joy is incomprehensible. We should think about it often. And so I think about it when I get up in the morning and my alarm close, uh, clock goes off. I think about it uh, at night when I go to bed and I pray and say, Lord, that would be so great if this is, this is it. And I wake up in heaven every day, all day long when I uh, turn my head and my neck hurts, when I move my arm and my shoulder aches, when I bend over my back hurts. Uh, every day when I take pills, oh, this won't go on much longer and I get my new body, and it's going to be so cool, and it will last forever, and it will never get tired. It will never hurt. Revelations 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Oh, no more Tylenol. No more ibuprofen. There will be no pain. First things have passed away. Psalm 16.11, in your presence is fullness of joy, fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures, pleasures forever. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. We haven't comprehended, we haven't even come close to comprehending what God has in store for us. Colossians 3, If you've been raised up with Christ, that is, if you have believed in Jesus, trusted him as your Savior, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. <clears throat> Set your mind, set your mind, set your mind. That is, choose to think about the things above, not of the things that are on earth. 
for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You're going to heaven, so why think about this life? If you're going to heaven, think about that. It's like going to Disneyland, going fishing. I'm going to Minnesota for a week's fishing. I've never fished for walleye or pike before, and it's going to be a week of fishing all day long. And the middle of July, I hate to make you covet or feel bad, but uh, middle of July, I'm going to Alaska, taking my grandson, and it's going to be fish on, fish on. Oh, I can't hardly wait. July is a long ways away. Oh, it's coming. I can't wait. Heaven is way better than that. Number six, the admonition to rejoice always and to grumble about nothing is easy for the person who has a clear understanding of eternity and thinks about it often. Now, if heaven were a thousand years away, I'd fuss and grumble about just about everything. But it isn't. The Bible says our life is like a blink of an eye, a vapor that's here for a moment and then gone. It's going to be really that, not that far away. It's going to happen soon. And so what happens now in this life really doesn't matter that much. The person who's going to heaven and the person who's going to get a glorified body, the person who's been given that free gift from God on the basis of faith, it's sort of embarrassing that you'd be wimpy enough to fuss and grumble about trials and troubles that come into your life. Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Number seven, our awareness and understanding of the price that was paid for us so that we could go to heaven will dramatically increase our love for God. Our love for God. Let's suppose you have a brain tumor and it's super bad and there's one guy in the world that can operate on it so that you will live. He's uh, 100% successful, but he doesn't take insurance and he takes cash and a million dollars is the bottom line price. That's the only thing and no way you can do that. But somebody you know says, I'll take care of it. I'll do fundraisers, I'll borrow money, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll pay the million so that you can have the surgery. And you have the surgery because he pays for it and the tumor is removed and you're healthy and you're, and you're alive and you're doing well. Will you send him a Christmas card? I would bet you would. In fact, I think you'd probably send him a birthday card too. He would become a person that as far as value and importance in your life would be right there at the top because he just paid an incredible price for your life. And Jesus did all that he did so that I could live in heaven with him forever. He left heaven. He became a person. He lived. He died. He suffered for me so that my sins would be paid for. And the more I think about going to heaven, think about it in the morning when my alarm clock goes off, think about it when I go to bed and put my head on the pillow, think about it every time I move and I have an ache or a pain, every time I read the news about the politics and about all that's going on in the world, I think, oh, wow, I can't wait to go to heaven. I'm reminded of why. Who paid the price? And I become an individual that's motivated by my love for Jesus because of what he did for me, the the gift that he's given to me, that I could have never earned on my own. Uh, he gave me that free gift. Hebrews 2.14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Isaiah 53.4, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, our sorrows He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He did that for me, and because he did, and because I believed and accepted that truth, I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to get a new body, and I'm going to experience infinite joy forever and ever and ever. Number eight, the positive anticipation of death is a major key to being highly motivated to pursue righteousness. To pursue righteousness. Righteousness. Is that something we do? Uh, we, we get kind of uh, fuzzy in our thinking. Righteousness is not primarily what you do, it's what you are. Speaking of our character, our heart, the real us. See, when you die and go to heaven, the real you takes off for heaven, and what you are in character is what you take with you. And so you look at people. There's a little kid there, two years old. There's a, a grown-up guy that's 90 years old. Here's a little kid that has very little value. All he really cares about is a bottle and, and taking a nap. And, and it, we change in character. We become mature. In the same way that happens on the outside, it happens on the inside. The real us, the eternal us, our spirit, our soul, our heart, grows and becomes mature like that uh, of Jesus. And when we pursue righteousness, we're not talking about what we do. We're talking about what we are. See, the Pharisees during the time of Jesus, they were the ones that crucified him. And if you had asked people, who's like the best people around? Who's the, you know, that follows all the rules and crosses all the T's and dots every I? Who are the ones who do that? Well, the Pharisees. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're like tombs. You're, you look good on the outside, all painted, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You, you outside look righteous to people, but inside you're full of filthiness. See, it, it isn't so much what we do on the outside as what we are on the inside. I sin every day. Uh, and when I get to the end of the day, I, I confess it to God, and, and I say, Lord, I really am sorry for what I said and I'm, for what I thought and what I did and I, I hunger and thirst for righteousness, and I want to do better. I do. Would you help me tomorrow to do better? And when I wake up tomorrow, it's a, it's a new day in the sense that my sin is forgiven. It's like I'm starting with a fresh every day, every day, and God gives that gift to us as we confess sin. He forgives, and we start the day afresh, but it's my heart that matters to God. It's what I take with me to heaven that matters to God and so if we're looking forward to heaven, we pursue that. First Timothy 6.11, flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Second Timothy 2.22, flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Psalms 90 verse 10, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years or if due to strength, 80. Their pride is but labor and sorrow. Soon it is over. It's gone. We fly away. That's verse 10. Verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days 
that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. That's a heart of character. So I'm going to die and stand before Jesus at the end of my life, and I'm going to present to him my life, my heart, my soul, the real me, my character. And it says, teach us to number our days to make the most of our time so that when we get there, we'll be like you. Now, a little bitty baby, they love a bottle. They don't like fishing. Can you imagine that? I mean, they don't get much out of hunting. Um, I mean, they're just a little bitty baby. When you get to heaven and all that glory is there and all that beauty is there, did you know that there's going to be some people who don't really enjoy it that much? Well, because they're just a little bitty baby. Their character, their heart, the real them, when they enter there, is not very mature, not very grown up. And um, we've been given a life. What, what's life about anyway? What's the purpose of life? The purpose of life, according to God, is that we would grow in the time that we have, we would grow on the inside in our character. We would become like Jesus in character so that we can enjoy him, he can enjoy us, so that we can enjoy heaven forever and ever and ever. Our ability to enjoy the beauty and glory of heaven and to enjoy Jesus is based on who we are when we get there in the way of character. Luke 2.52, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. So we have some sort of fuzzy thinking about Jesus. He was God, infinite, almighty God, always existed, always will, but it says he stripped himself of all that he was as God, took it all off, as it were, put it in the closet, and then he was born into this world as a baby, and as he laid there in the manger as a baby, he was a baby. And he had zero character, no more than you and I do. And he, as he grew, as this verse says, he kept increasing in wisdom. He grew in character as a man. <clears throat> so life is to develop your character. What's the primary tool that God uses to develop your character? Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things, as speaking of God the Father, and bringing many sons to glory, that's us, to perfect the author of their salvation, that's Jesus, through sufferings. To perfect. So I thought Jesus was perfect. He was sinless, he never sinned, but character, he had to grow even like you do. And so God the Father perfected the author of their salvation through sufferings. Hebrews 5.8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Having been made perfect, having been made perfect, that is Jesus born into the world as a little baby, grew and grew and grew and he became perfect, that is complete in character, fully grown on the inside, he became he was made perfect. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. <clears throat> so, how grown up are you on the inside? Character. And uh, you're going to die, and you're going to stand before God, and you're going to be a certain person in character, and it's going it's to dictate how much you enjoy heaven. Do you know that a lot of people think that when you get to heaven, God's going to go, Zappo! Fix-o! Poop! Your character is like growing up. Now, if God could do that, that makes this life a total farce. It has no purpose, no meaning. James 1, 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy. That is, be happy when bad things happen to you. Why? 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete. That's talking about your character, the real you on the inside. See, God brings trials into your life so that you can grow to become like him in character, and you've got just a given amount of time, not, 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 not that much. And you don't want to waste those by whining and fussing and grumbling and complaining. You want to thank you, Lord, thank you. You want me to be like you so that I can enjoy you forever and you can enjoy me for all of eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 41, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. Star differs from star in glory. Star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. That is, person differs from person in character, even as stars differ in brightness and size. And so when I step into heaven, I want to be like him. Because if I am, I will enjoy him, he will enjoy me, we will fellowship, and heaven will be so cool. I don't want to be a baby. And so make the most of your days so that when you stand before him, you can present to him a heart of wisdom. And God will take care of the details. You just have to respond right. And the person who sets their mind on heaven every day, every day, every day, recognizes life has a purpose and God has a method. Number nine, those who think about death and going to heaven will also be, begin to think about the judgment seat of Christ. <clears throat> you know, when my kids, I ate kids, and they, they, were, they were all different, but there were some things that were the same with every one of them. Every one of them had a first word that popped out of their mouth, and every one of them had a first sentence that they spoke, a complete sentence. Did you know that like with every one of my kids, I, I don't know if this is totally true, but close, the first sentence they spoke was, that's not fair. <laughs> Who taught them that? I didn't teach them that. Patty, did you teach those kids that? I didn't teach them that. I wonder if they picked that up from their cousins or kids at church. Who taught them that? I mean, every single one of them is like the first words out of their mouth. That's not fair. Where'd they get that? They were born with it. See, we're created in the image and likeness of God, and God is a God of love, but he is also a God of total, complete justice. Uh, to be God, that the very nature of God, that's who he is. He's a God of justice, a God of fairness. So let's suppose... You become a believer in Jesus when you're 13 years of age. I become a believer in Jesus when I'm 13 years of age. We're the same age. And I totally waste my life in the sense that I just live for me. I don't care about others. I don't go out of my way to make uh, anybody else happier, to meet a need in anybody else's life. I don't share with anybody else what Jesus has done for me. I don't give anything in the special offering. I don't teach a Sunday school class. I don't go be a missionary. I mean, I just live for me. And then I die, stand in heaven. But you, on the other hand, when you became a Christian at 13 years of age, you read your Bible every day and you shared with people and you helped out in church and you taught Sunday school and <clears throat> you saw somebody that had a need and you helped meet that need, somebody who needed a, some money and you gave them some money. And all through your life, you sacrificed and you gave and you taught and you did whatever you can. And you die, both of us die on the same day and we stand before Jesus. <clears throat> so, is it going to be the same? See, God is just and God is fair. 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that if the earthly tent, that's this physical body, 
which is our house is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We all get this new glorified body that will never get sick. Indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan. I groan when I sit down. I groan when I stand up. I groan all day long. I don't complain. I don't grumble. I don't fuss. But I do groan because it's right there. It says we can. See, it's, it, Paul did it, so I can do it being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. He who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, therefore being always of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body we are absent from the Lord for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. <clears throat> so I've said this to you before, but let me remind you. Before I go to sleep tonight, I will review the day and confess all known sin to God, things I've said, things I've thought, attitudes, all known sin. If I can't remember it, I don't worry about it. I confess all known sin to God. God says he will forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That is, he forgives me of all of my sins that I've confessed plus the ones I can't remember. He takes care of it. So, and if I die in the middle of the night and stand before God, then he said, okay, we're opening the books. Let's see what there is here that you've done wrong. Whoa. There's nothing there. Cool. See, that's a great gift. But if you excuse it, blame others about it, justify it, pretend like it didn't happen, you get to the end of the day and don't examine your life and don't confess sin to God, and you do that again and again and again, and then you die and you stand before Jesus, and you're going into heaven. But he opens up the book and says, Whoa. There's another page, and there's another page, and there's another page. Woo-wee. See, God is just. You're in heaven, but the quality of life in heaven is going to be hugely different uh, on the basis of the rewards we experience at the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, Jesus said, you don't even give a glass of water to a little child that you'll not receive a reward for it from God when you get there and when you get into heaven. Number 10 is I... Think often about my eternal home in heaven. It's hard not to also think with sadness about the lake of fire and those who are going there for all eternity. So I don't know what you thought when you heard the news about the earthquake in Nepal. I guess it's over 2,000 people now that have died in that earthquake. I was reading yesterday about uh, Christians that are martyred around the world. Uh, most of it is violent and torture, 100,000 uh, estimated will die as believers uh, by torture. And people die of heart attack. People die of cancer. But what is important, not so much how old they are, how young they are, whether they died in their sleep, whether they died of cancer, whether they died in an earthquake or in a fire, what matters is when you die and then wake up on the other side, where are you? Where are you? Now, I think about going to heaven every day, all day long, and the negative, the consequence, the bad thing about it is I think about people that I know that don't know Jesus. They've never trusted him as their personal savior. 
2 Thessalonians 1.7, He's coming to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. It's not talking about a knowledge, yeah, I believe there is a God, it's a personal relationship to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. That's way more serious than a parking ticket. The penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. <clears throat> and as people all the time say, I, I just have a hard time believing in a God of love who would send someone to hell. Uh, I didn't make the rules. You didn't make the rules. God created everything, every atom, every person, every angel. And he is a God that is totally and completely just and pure and holy. Sin had to be taken care of, and he sent Jesus to take care of it. And if we don't trust him, then our sin is not taken care of. And God is a loving God. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he paid the price that he paid. But there's still what we have to do, and that is simply accept the free gift of eternal life. Daniel 12, too, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. 2 Peter 2, 17, these are springs without water, mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness the black darkness has been reserved. <clears throat> Sometimes people will ask me if Jesus went to hell, and I said, that's a pretty easy thing to prove from, from Scripture, that he did indeed go to hell as part of his payment for our sins. Psalms 88 is a prophecy of the very words of Jesus. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. They are cut off from your hand. You put them in the lowest pit in dark places. In the depths, your wrath has rested upon me. You have afflicted me with all your waves. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. Sometimes I'll hear people say, I might as well go to hell. That's where all my friends are. Uh, it's not going to be a party. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. <clears throat> Revelations 20.10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are also. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, you get your name written in the book of life by trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Number 11, I have been commissioned by Jesus to be a witness for him and to bring as many people as possible with me to heaven. Now, I think about heaven when I get up in the morning and the alarm clock goes off. I think about heaven all day long every time I have an ache of pain. I think about heaven when I go to bed at night. And when I do, I can't help but think about the people who don't have the hope that I have. And I have become obsessed consumed with doing something, whatever, to influence as many people as possible. So I'd love to get to heaven and enter into glory and look around and say, yeah, 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 they're there because I said something, did something, prayed a prayer, uh, had some influence even a little so that they were in heaven someday. I went to a conference here the other day and there was a couple hundred pastors there. I didn't know most of them. And so you're hanging out and talking shop and 
wasn't five minutes. I pulled my phone out and put it on my photo thing, and I said, hey, you want to see this picture? This is a picture of my grandson. He's just two years old, and he is on a surfboard with his dad in Hawaii. Look at that. Isn't that cool? And then I showed him another picture and another picture, and then I showed another path. I mean, I showed all 22 grandkids off all day long in the conference. Uh, They showed me some of theirs as well. You know when you get to heaven? You're not going to show off your grandkids. What you are going to rejoice in and glory in are those who are there because of you. Because you said something, did something, invited, prayed. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, you are our glory and joy. You, those of you who are there because uh, I said something, did something, prayed, invited, 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. So that's my responsibility. I've been commissioned, been sent. Um, a, lot of, a lot of Christians go into heaven They think a lot about their job. They think a lot about their money. They think a lot about their house. They think a lot about their car. They think a lot about their dog. They think a lot about their vacation. They think a lot about their boat. They're sort of self-absorbed and focused on this life. They fret a lot. They worry a lot. And they worry about how they feel and their health and whether they're going to die or not. They really aren't really focused, set their mind on things above. And another quality of those individuals is they don't really care about friends and neighbors and relatives that are not going to heaven because it's not in their thinking very much. And so you choose to set your mind on the things above rather than on the things of this earth and you thank him and glory in the fact that you're headed there, not because you've been good, but because you've been given that free gift because of faith. And pretty soon you'll become increasingly motivated to do something, say something, pray a prayer for somebody, do a good deed for somebody, anything, just to influence people closer to faith in Christ. And that's where I want to be all the time, and that's where we want to be as a church, witnesses for Jesus, making a huge difference. Because this life is just, it's nothing, and it's going to be over. And what matters is heaven and who we are in our character and who we bring with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for supplying and paying the price so that we can live with you forever in your presence You took care of our sin problem. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing for us what we couldn't ever do on our own. And Lord, we want to set our mind on the things above and think about heaven. We also want to think about what we can do to bring others with us. Provide us with opportunity. Grant us the wisdom. Give us the motivation. Use us as your witnesses. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.